welcome to Life Pairings, where two Canadian alcohol connoisseurs mix life events and libations. Hello, I'm Carla Richards. And I'm Brittany Lysing. And, and this, this is, is Life Pairings. <laughs> <laughs> because life is hard. So pair it with alcohol. Pack up that cardboard box, say your goodbyes, and head home to get shit-faced, as today's life pairing is Job Loss with Bourbon. We're discussing Hamilton, Mardi Gras, and Devastating Loss. Oh. I know, but they want, the people wanted a bad one, Carla. That's true. We have to be so realistic. we like, fine. Yeah. Also, it, this is kind of COVID time. A lot of people might be in this situation. Yo, so many people lost their jobs. Like, as I was looking through stuff, I was like, this is like everything that was coming up. I was like, how to deal, what to do, how to. It's very like, yeah, everybody, because of the vid, mm-hmm. lots of people have lost their jobs. So it's timely. Yes. Carla. Yes. Very current. We're very current and timely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does uh, job loss mean to you? I've only been fired from like a couple of jobs in my life. Uh, I would have liked to have been let go from a lot more jobs in my life. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I I can sympathize. It's pretty, pretty devastating. But I also sort of always see it as a positive thing. One door closes, a window opens. That's what they say. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's usually uh, making room for something else in your life. If you're a person that believes in things like that, it's like everything happens for a reason, man. Like maybe this job friggin' sucked the life out of you. Yes, yes. Or you were good at it, so you shouldn't have stayed in it. Yeah, dude. Sometimes you're just like not good at stuff. Like people don't tell you that. They're like, you can get better. But the truth of the matter is, is like sometimes you suck at stuff and you're never going to be better. So that doesn't mean you're not good at anything. Go find something you're friggin' dope at and do that. You know, I've been into the bourbon already. (laughs) <laughs> i haven't done it yet uh what does job loss mean to you well i've been laid off um a number of times right. i've never been fired though because i just have been like yeah i've been laid off uh i worked for a union so that's kind of a union's way of being like listen <laughs> we can't fire <laughs> you we have no you. just cause other than you think it's your job to be a comedian instead of an elevator mechanic <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, being an elevator mechanic means you show up to work from Monday to Friday every day at seven. And I was like, that doesn't jive well with my lifestyle. I've always been like a pretty um, loyal employee until uh, until I became a comedian. And then I was just like, yeah. fuck this. <laughs> like I kind of was like, my priorities changed. My, pre- my perspectives changed. And I felt like that I was just, it wasn't for me anymore. So you could tell in my, in my attitude and being there. So I was, uh, I was definitely laid off like three or four times within like five years. So they were just like each, and you just go to another company is what happens. So I'd get to another company and I'd be like, I hate it the same turns out. Right. I also don't want to be here. So yeah, it was actually job loss was uh, one of the best things that's uh, that's right. ever happened to me because I, I I finally got laid off from the last company and they were just like, hey, like you aren't great, and I was like, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at though, doing not this. I'm pretty good on stage. I can tell jokes and do a whole different thing yeah. than this fucking nightmare is. 
so when they laid me off it was pretty funny they like hauled me into the office at the yeah. end of the day and it was like uh, my boss was like hey can I see you at the office at 3 30 so I was like I told everybody on site I was like see you boys later I'm getting laid off <laughs> and they were like no you're not and I was like no I for sure am yeah and uh, I walked in and he was like I was like hey Lauren are you laying me off and he was like well <laughs> yeah but I wanted Aww. to do it night he's like I yeah. wanted to do it nice though and I was like oh I don't give a shit I'm pretty pumped you're laying me off mm. he's like how'd you know you were getting laid off I was like well I didn't think you were calling me in at 3 30 on a Tuesday afternoon <laughs> to tell me I'm your favorite employee yeah I was like not to mention I was two hours late this morning <laughs> And he just started laughing and he was like, yeah. And I was like, I hate this. He's like, I know you do. And I was like, I don't want to do it. Don't feel bad. Don't like lose any sleep over friggin' laying me off. Yeah. Like Aww. I don't care. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then I uh, pursued my dreams. So as soon as I got laid off from that job, I uh, I got a spot at Just for Laughs. I I did like five notable things in the next like six months. So. That's amazing. Sometimes job loss is the best thing that can happen to you. Yeah. A little kick up the ass to uh, to do what you want to do. Now, I know we don't talk about the drink usually this early, but I just had a sip of it. And this is a hard thing for us. We are not <laughs> bourbon people. We are not bourbon people for sure. And um, it's gross. It is. I feel bad for that because I feel like I should be able to like drink, especially like a, a, a scotch, like a whiskey. Yeah. And I bourbon, mean, I feel like, is the lower end of that. And I can't even drink that. It's well, I don't know if it's the lower end. It's certainly different. It's like just so. a di- it's it's all whiskey. It's just I'm married different. to a I'm married to a Scots Scotch. Oh, I'm that's right. We did mention yeah, that. So. But yeah, no, it's kind of it's definitely a harsh drink. But we thought it'd be like fun to pair it up with job loss because it's like your job loss is harsh, and also mm-hmm. sitting and drinking straight bourbon at the bar by yourself kind of harsh. Also, yes. Also, it burns, and you've been burned. You've been burned. Yeah, it's, I mean, the double meaning here is just, yes. wow, we, oh we really gosh. did a deep dive for you folks this week. We really, really thought, we put our little noggins together. Yeah, we really thought this through. I also have, I uh, <laughs> took a heartburn pill, and uh, then I'm good, eating good. Tums as I drink it, because I'm old and I get heartburn all the time. Yeah. But yeah, I, but yeah, so like, losing your job is not great, Carla. I looked no. into it. Oh, you no. You guys wanted bad, you got it. <laughs> uh. It's actually, some psychologists think it's actually just, like, in your lifetime, one of the hardest things you'll go through. Right. You're just on, like, yeah. a, it, it, and it's comparable to losing a loved one. Well, I guess so. It is. Especially if you've, like, lost, if you've been there for a long time or. Yeah. Yeah. The emotions are similar. Like, obviously not on such a devastating, long, but, like, you can't replace a loved one, but you can replace a job. Right. Being the caveat. But it's just that it's, um you go through that same like denial anger bargaining depression you know it's all like Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. similar similar thought process because like at first you know like they say like uh, you go through a little bit of denial right Uh, it's so shocking to you the the job loss you can't even understand how it happened so you're just like this wasn't my fault right like why do you and then you get angry Mm-hmm. And the initial anger, or there's like an internal anger and then external anger. And you might be mad at yourself for what you probably could have done better. And then you'll be mad at your boss for firing such an amazing employee. <laughs> so right. you're, just like, <laughs> you're like, you're kind of like a little delusional, which is probably why you get fired. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just like, you, 
you're like run this fortune 500 company without me i dare you <laughs> they're like listen mark you sweep the floors and sometimes clean the copier so why don't you knock it off yeah yeah and then you know you go into bargaining uh an example of bargaining is like you know you know how like when you break up with somebody and then you ask if you can still be friends right in the context of a job loss you might start to bargain with yourself like well then i can just get my master's degree instead and i'll go back and be a better employee than they ever had right and it's like no they don't want you back yeah you are unbearable to deal with (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then you kind of get in uh, you get into depression which is one of the scarier Mm -hmm. stages um because you're just kind of like it gives you you've kind of had time to reflect on everything and you're like oh my god maybe i am the problem right and then obviously then you can go very very low with that thought yeah and if you can't get out of that sort of like depressive like uh, you know um ruminating thought process where you're just like i'm the problem i'm the problem and everything Mm -hmm. then you gotta you gotta move on to acceptance and this is when you kind of return to your baseline hey people lose their jobs yeah i still need to eat i still need to work you hopefully accept it move on but i mean it takes a while i mean there's lots of people in our lives right now that have lost their jobs like certainly Mm -hmm. right within my family and it feels like you know it's it's a bit of your identity is taken from you and it's completely out of your control yeah exactly i think that's a big thing too that especially like our generation and up so we're like in our mid-30s we've really been taught that your job is your life and like it's so important and you can't not have a job and to then be fired from one I mean or just lose your job because of COVID or something outside of your control um, whether that's like being replaced by a robot choose that doesn't match mesh well with our psyche that we've been taught yeah you're basically taught you know and certainly I mean it's it's different places or different ways I feel like Alberta is very blue collar um that is where we're from Mm -hmm. and that's uh that's it's like hey like this you do a job because that's what you do you that's who you are you bring money home you fend for yourself you don't rely on others you don't you know like everything about having a like everything about what I was taught when I was growing up was like you grow up get a job and take care of yourself Mm mm-hmm so when you lose that opportunity, uh, you have to either find a way to get back on, you know, back on top and, and, and beat all those things because you you can just wallow in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's like and there's like quite a few things uh, when you're when you're out of work for too long. Um, some of the bigger problems that uh, sort of seep in are obviously uh, depression, bad eating habits, stress, right. anxiety, negative thoughts and lack of sleep. Um, right. Lack this of is sleep basically also sleep. what happens when you go through quarantine yeah dude i mean mean, this is essentially but if you think about it really like everybody who didn't go to work everybody experienced this together this like forget that the reason you sleep is because you were busy all day long yeah or and and to keep like a good sleep hygiene you don't need to because you don't need to get up till whenever and then suddenly you're waking up at three o'clock in the afternoon and going to bed at four well that was something that that's something i still try to like beat a little bit because like i'm not really out of bed until 11 30 every day like i wake up around 10 30 but i kind of just lay there and then i don't get to sleep till three every night because there's no reason for me to be up so unless there's a reason for you to be up you kind of like and that's a whole nother ball of wax but like we are not nocturnal 
Right. No. Like it's actually not good for you to be up all night long. And so no. like when you lose your job, then you don't really have a reason to get up in the morning and you're like, yeah, I could sleep till noon, watch the prices right, eat a ham mm-hmm. sandwich and go back to sleep. <laughs> Which as a comedian, a transfer you know, transitioning from uh, a tradesman, mm-hmm. oh boy, did I have a lot of prices rates and ham sandwich days. <laughs> There's, it, it affects you on so many more levels um, than you probably even know to lose your job. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. There's ways to get out of this. You can exercise. You can learn new skills. You can network. You can, like, there's, like, I just got this from uh, the website. It's called, was on Psychology Today, as well as uh, the BBC I got some information from, as well as uh business to community.com which was i it like literally website after website because of the climate we're in right now was like Mm -hmm. here's some things you need to do so you don't get too sad okay yeah yeah and you know they talk about you know staying positive and keeping a gratitude journal using apps like headspace for meditation connecting Mm -hmm. with family and friends just like my advice like having gone through this uh you know kind of before everybody else did in this like before the quarantine is just like realize that like the time that you have is not always going to be there so take it as like a gift like oh my god i have like a month where i don't quite know what i'm gonna do yet but you know what that means i can hang with hang out with all my mom pregnant friends (laughs) who are off which is amazing because i get to hang out with their kids this is all before quarantine but Right. You know, and then I got to hang out with my parents a bunch. I got to, you know, like everything that I normally wouldn't get to do. I was just like having lunch with like my great aunt in the middle of the day. And I was like, this is really actually, if you, if you look at the positives of losing your job, which I know are sometimes hard to see, um, Mm -hmm. perhaps you don't have to head straight to the bar and down some bourbon. Yeah. I mean, do that. And then the next day you should probably get up and go for a walk. That's my big thing. Call a friend. Yeah. What do you got for us in the history department? Hands up if you've seen Hamilton. Hands up, my hands up. Uh, Keep that hand up if you feel like it was actually about Aaron Burr and that Leslie Odom Jr. stole the show. Uh, Listen, (laughs) I really like (laughs) Alexander. Me and Carla will forever battle on this. But also, my favorite part of all of Hamilton was Jonathan Groff as as the king. So, Oh, yes. I mean, no one's, I, no one beats him in my mind anyways, so. No. Oh, but Lafayette yeah. was. Fantastic. And Lafayette, yes. Oh, yeah. God. There's so okay. many people in that. So many that people. Amazing. Watch it. <laughs> but uh, obviously it's a fictional uh, musical. So I'm going to talk about Aaron Burr today because I feel like he kind of went from like from VP to Traeger. Okay. And Turncoat. Oh, but you can see why a little bit, maybe. <laughs> Uh, okay, so he originally served, he's also a white man. I can't see him as a white man now. I think he's black in that archive, so that's just how I'm picturing him. Yeah, me too. I'm like, uh, Hamilton has, like, changed changed my outlook for the better. <laughs> yes. So he served in the New York State Assembly, and then he was appointed to be Attorney General of New York State. So he was doing very well for himself. He was kind of friends with Hamilton, as is depicted in the musical, Um, but he decided to run for New York State Senate, which is a perfectly understandable, you know, move from, if you're in politics, you're going to go into the Senate, obviously. But he won his spot over the incumbent, Phillips uh, Schuyler, 
This is in 1791. That's Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then Alexander Hamilton. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how anybody can ever say that name again without saying it like I, that. I know. Even even Aaron Burr, sir. Yeah. We're running through my head all the time. <laughs> Aaron Burr, so, sir. So Al- Alexander Hamilton was a little miffed because, you know, his father-in-law lost his spot. But, like, it's not like he stole it from him and hit him on top of the head or any I don't know. Okay. He was a little cheesed. You put it are you, are you, is he are you putting him at a miffed or a cheesed? I would say miffed. Okay. Which is a little further than cheesed. Oh, I okay. Yeah. When I get oh, cheesed the other way? Yeah, I in my mind if I'm cheesed I'm like, whew, I'm you I I'm beyond miffed. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. It does work either way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then ran for president in 1796, but he came fourth. That's when John Adams won. Uh, he ran again in 1800, running along Thomas Jefferson, and he ended up being the vice president with him. Oh, okay. But Jefferson didn't really trust Burr, so he just shut him out of politics. So even though he was the VP, which I think back then they didn't really know what to do with the VP, they were like... Uh, you're just there in case the president dies. So just hang out. Right. The VP, like a... What does the vague VP really do? He found out after being in the on the ticket for or sorry, being in, in power for that time that Jefferson wasn't gonna keep him on as VP for the next election in eighteen oh four. So Burr decided to run for governor of New York. But he lost in the most significant margin of loss in New York's history up to that time. The reason that he lost was because of a smear campaign. Guess who maybe was behind the smear campaign? Alexander Hamilton. That is correct, sir. April 23rd, 1804, a letter was published in the paper, because this was a time when you would, you know, it's like publishing an email that you send to someone, um, by Dr. Cooper, who said that Burr was a, quote, a dangerous man and one who ought not to be trusted with the reins of government, unquote. Okay. And that he also claimed, this is Cooper claiming, yeah. that he knew a, quote, still more despicable opinion which General Hamilton had expressed of Mr. Burr, unquote. Kind of implying that there is some kind of sexual deviance that Hamilton knows about Mr. Burr, about Aaron Burr. Ooh. This there also s- solidifies my theory that we're devolving because, like, the pro- <laughs> the presidents of the United States now, like, that was even as, like, harsh as it was, it was still tactful and intelligent sounding. And now when you listen to Trump, he's like, she's nasty. Those reporters are nasty. <laughs> you're like, oh, we've devolved to nasty. You say that, but actually they, there was reports that, it, you know, he encouraged male prostitution and he had orgies in his home. So we're basically in the same place. There's, well, people are still doing the same thing, but at least they have the, <laughs> some sort of uh, sounds liter- better. literacy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it basically just sounds like a bunch of 12 year old boys are fighting over politics, which is that's all this is. That's all that politics is. It's just all a it bunch is. of children. Children. Yeah. So in June 1804, Burr challenged Hamilton to a duel after he wouldn't uh, apologize for this letter. And Hamilton, you know, somewhat arguably said, well, I didn't actually write the letter, so you can't really blame me. (laughs) But 
I like that I, he's just a prick about it. He's like, I didn't even write it. <laughs> it's like teenage girls were like, I didn't write it. I said it, but I didn't write it. Yeah. Um, and so no one actually knows who shot first. But mm-hmm. Hamilton had written previously that he was going to throw away his gun. So he literally did not throw away his shot. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to throw away my shot. Yeah. You guys should really, I'm not doing this any justice. <laughs> Please watch the film that they've provided for you yeah. on uh, Netflix. Or sorry, Disney and if you And if you have just gotten the soundtrack out of your head, it's probably been four to six weeks where you've oh, heard it every boy. single day. Sorry, but we're bringing it back. <laughs> so Hamilton shot just over Burr's head. There's a lot of things that's going on. There's light, you know, the sunrise was in people's eyes. And Hamilton had actually chosen the weapons. And so it was a larger barrel with a hair trigger, which made them much more deadly. Burr wouldn't have known this. Okay. So anyways, Hamilton gets shot, ends up dying uh, later. Okay. And so Aaron Burr, the vice president of the United States flees to South Carolina because <laughs> he knows he's probably going to get in a lot of shit. He's just like, uh, do we have extradition with South Carolina? They're like, it's <laughs> you're in the same country. So he wasn't indicted for murder, but because Hamilton died in New York, but was shot in New Jersey, they couldn't prosecute and New Jersey couldn't prosecute because he was shot in New Jersey but died in New York. So <laughs> eventually all this calms down. Burr comes back to work. He finishes out his um, his time for as VP. He even makes a speech in the Senate when he's leaving to be considered one of the best. And he made senators cry. Oh, no. Yeah. But he left a broken man. I mean, he's this is his whole job, his whole career. Right. It was not just job loss. This is he's lost his friends. He's lost his his hopes and dreams for the future. He doesn't get to wear those wigs anymore. Exactly. <laughs> he's fucking so. bummed. He's a bum <laughs> to the capital B. Yeah. Oh man. So, uh, in context of all the what is going on right now, um, France has just sold the U.S. the Louisiana Purchase, right? Which, um is like quite a few states kind of in the middle of America, kind of like Montana, Oklahoma, uh, Minnesota, even a tiny bit of Alberta and Saskatchewan. Oh, really? We're I don't know if it, I, yeah, I don't know if it was high enough to be in like Alberta, like a Calgary where we're from, but yeah, we could have been French and then American. <laughs> um, but there were a lot of people in this area. So even though the U.S. bought it, they weren't Americans. A lot of, most of them were Aboriginal. A small mm-hmm. amount of them were French. Mm-hmm. Um, it also bordered British colonies and Spain colonies. This is still a time when, like, the borders are really loose and nobody really knows what's going on. Right. A lot of contested space. So Burr thought that he would go out to the West and, like, see what was going on. <laughs> He's so like, he, listen, I didn't do that stuff they said, so I'm coming over there to see what's going on. Yeah. And he, it's said that he wants to wage a private war against Spanish Mexico. So Mexico is not owned by Mexicans at that point. It was still owned by the Spanish. Um, okay. Same with Florida. 
Okay. So he he uh, buddies up with James Wilkinson, who's the highest ranking officer in the U.S. Army. Um, and that he becomes Burr's number two. It's all very, like, kind of loosey-goosey at this time. Not a lot of ideas as to what the actual plan is. But Wilkinson's actually a Spanish spy. So he kind of is looking to see what, what he could play to sort of, you know, do the best things for himself. Um, so he, Burr starts recruiting men, but doesn't really tell him what his plan is. He's just like, oh, it's kind of annoying that the Spanish have that Florida area, isn't it? I like with all the rumors going around, too, he starts, like, recruiting men. They're like, wait, you're not going to fuck us or anything, are you? <laughs> we heard about those orgies. We heard about those orgies. Because if you are, then yes. Still, answer is yes. <laughs> but preferably but be honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. He even writes to Britain and asks for some support, which isn't the greatest idea, because Britain was still very much the enemy at this time. Right. Um, and Britain's like, no, we're good. Just, just We're not getting involved in any more stuff. But Spain's like, yeah, you know what? We could help. We'll, uh, we'll like step up the border conflicts about, you know, between our spaces and what America has right now. And therefore, Burr and Wilkinson can invade Florida because, you know, the Spanish are acting a little adversarial. Hinky? Yep. That's a a word David Letterman (laughs) used to use. I don't know, Paul seems a little bit hinky to me. Um, and then the plan maybe was to take over Florida and maybe take over this Louisiana purchase area and run it. Interesting. Essentially as like an emperor. Problem is we don't actually know what Burr was planning because he was just talking to everybody, all the higher ups. And so because he was doing this, obviously the U S government knows about it because you can't just tell anybody anything. No. Loose loose lips sink ships. Yeah. So Wilkinson decides to hand over the cipher letter uh, to Thomas Jefferson in 1806. This is basically the evidence that Burr is up to some dodgy shit. It's not, doesn't really sound like that. It's very vague. Okay. Um, But this is Wilkinson, you know, turning, turning his back on Burr and turning him in. So Burr finds out he's, uh, Wanted for arrest. He's arrested and taken to Washington. He does try to escape. <laughs> you know, this guy's got a bad rap sheet. I'm surprised uh-huh. anybody trusts him to do anything. Like, hey, remember when you shot our president? <laughs> Is this not bothering no, no, you? No, he didn't shoot the president. He shot the... What was he? He was Alexander Hamilton? Yeah. Oh, he wasn't he... the president. Okay. No. He... Oh, okay. He was... Did something with the treasury. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What I love about this is that I like obviously did not get Hamilton. That's what we just There's found out right now. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I was just like, is this guy not the fucking president? What is happening? <laughs> Bring the king back out. He's so yeah. sassy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how I learned anything. Uh, um. So he's put on trial, but because everybody's like, well, he told me this, and some other guys were like, yeah, he told me this, maybe potentially some sex in Florida, you know. Also, the stupid letter that Wilkinson hands in, it's in his own handwriting, because he's like, oh, I lost the original, so I just made a copy. (laughs) (laughs) So they were like, I don't think we can convict this guy, because 
generally to be uh, like for treason, it has to be an overt act, act, right, requiring two witnesses. Oh, so like, he hasn't actually so done like anything. The president like called Russia and then was <laughs> caught on that phone call by like nine people. Mm-hmm. Not an act of treason. Interesting. Cool. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this wasn't obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is in September 1st, 1807. He's acquitted because there's no evidence, basically. Um, so he's even burned in effigy by the citizens. Like, people are not happy with him. He flees to Europe. They don't want him. So he comes back to the U.S. <laughs> um, and they lo- all of his papers were lost at sea, along with his daughter after uh, Theodosia in 1813. So we don't know what his plan was. We don't know if he was doing it for America or if he was planning to take over or he just got like a little too much on the bourbon is Kentucky Kentucky is oh we're gonna learn a lot about it so maybe he was too much on the the bourbon but it does kind of sound like a lot of the people that he kind of trusted did turn on him and then it's just this crazy you know amount of events that just leads to him Maybe trying to make his own country. Right. All because of job loss. He was just so cheesed. He was like, listen, none of those things are true. And you guys are going to be pretty bummed that you got in my grill about it in about 10 years. Do you have uh, a little more uh, modern news story? I have, a modern, I have some modern stuff to tell you. Very modern. Mm. Very timely. Same region. Because why would I go outside of the region? It wouldn't be... <laughs> it wouldn't have anything to do with this podcast. First of all, it comes from Vanity Fair. Just wrote an article about. Ooh. You guessed it. You know it. You love it. Mardi Gras. Woohoo. Yeah, Mardi Gras. Uh, with the uh, famous Bourbon Street. Which yeah. I thought was a, a good pick. Uh, yes. And it's uh, all to do with COVID. So here's what happened. Mardi Gras happens right before, kind of right before uh, COVID happened. Right. Yeah, because it's in March, right? It's in March. So it was like the beginning of March. It's Mardi Gras, and it also uh, triples the population of New Orleans to 1.4 million. So it's like three times the amount of people that live there are there for Mardi Gras. Mm. Right. It's a late winter blowout, so it's kind of after our winter, and it's just sort of like warming up a little bit, and everybody's outside, and if you don't know Mardi Gras... then I don't know, pull your head out of the sand. You, what else don't you know? Uh, but yeah, so it's, I mean, there's a million people in the streets, they're all touching and hugging, and you know, mm-hmm. beads are being passed out for lewd requests. Flashing. Yeah, show us your titties, uh, and you'll get some beads. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it all happened right before, uh, right before COVID happened, and the mayor of uh, New Orleans, uh, Latoya Cantrell, uh, had been in touch with the Center uh, for D- Disease Control at the time about whether or not to cancel the whole extravaganza because there were slight right. like whisperings. Remember, like it was kind of like it happened in China. Mm-hmm. It's kind of there. It's not really here. People were acting normal. There were big functions, but Mardi Gras is like huge, so it was kind of yeah. on the radar. And she was like, "Hey, should I cancel this?" She was in, uh, she was in contact with the CDC, and they were like, "No, it's like not mm-hmm. really that big of a deal." <laughs> there were no record what? there were like no recorded cases of covid in all of louisiana and it was like literally like two weeks later that trump started tweeting about uh 
uh, the Chinese virus, and then he started ta- talking about how it would mirac- so it went from like this is the Chinese did this to us, so it's like okay, hold on, that's not what we're talking about. We need to know what this is and how it'll affect us. And then he started tweeting, "No, it'll miraculously disappear with the sunny weather, so don't worry." Like, and then I was like, "Some states are always sunny. Like Florida has twenty five percent of the population has it. It's like one of the sunniest states on the continent." Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, so it was uh all these people had gone uh gone out to mardi gras and weeks later like like i said like weeks later any gatherings larger than 10 people were outlawed right and like table service at restaurants was uh, suspended and like it was such a bold thing for a city who's famous for fine like gourmet dining like their whole industry so Mm -hmm. so they went from like having triple the amount of population on one street in the city at one time yeah. Uh, to like not you know not serving anything Nothing. it made for one of the biggest breakouts in the states one of the earliest breakouts was in new orleans right. because of mardi gras and they can they yeah. they can link it all to being there and then everybody then from mardi gras dispersed back home because they don't all live right. there so it's responsible yeah. like so it went from like one of the biggest parties that happens in north america every year the streets full to then, um, you know, they're saying that there was like refrigerator trucks filled filled with dead bodies outside oh. of funeral homes, and and the hospitals were overwhelmed, and the death tolls were so high that they like mm. were seeking, they were like in an emergency state, you know, as we all well know. Right. But it can all be yeah. linked to uh, Bourbon Street and Mardi Gras. Well, what did we tell you? Don't make us pick bad stuff. <laughs> it's all so sad. Depressing. So. Segwaying into our choice of alcohol. Yeah, our choice of alcohol. I know bourbon comes from Kentucky. Bourbon whiskey comes from Kentucky. That's right. And it is uh, disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) It works really well when you mix it with other stuff, but if you're going to be depressing and sad and just. I put some ice in it. It's actually better now. Yeah, I, I might just be getting more melted. drunk. I put a little lemon in there as well. I put it. I, mm. I put. Um. Yep. I put. Uh. I poured it over ice, and then I let the ice melt. I put it in a nice, uh, highball glass. Yeah. And then I put a little lemon in there, just because that's my own preference. Uh. But if you're gonna, if you've lost your job and you're you're ordering it straight up, some people shoot it. Some people drink it over mm. ice. Um, yeah, yeah. Bourbon's one of those things that it's like kind of like uh, it's the drink that'll put a little hair on your chest. It, I have a lot more hair right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people. Whiskey is whiskey, which is all made in a similar fashion. But each, uh, yeah, it's almost like you know how like we champagne is just the region it's from. Like champagne, like it's called bubbly. So essentially, like mm-hmm. you know, that's champagne is a region in France. So that's where champagne is from. Well, bourbon is from um, the uh, southern United States, Kentucky specifically. Uh, and I uh, I pulled up a little article here uh, about the history of bourbon and why why it's called bourbon. So we know why whiskey is called whiskey, which is a bit of a rarity in the spirits oh. world, because whiskey is the anglicized version of the Gaelic word uses. Uh, which translates to water. The longer version of the name was taken from the old Irish uh, Uses Betha, which is meaning water of life, which was borrowed from Latin's uh, aqua vinta. So yeah, so uh, whiskey actually means the water of life. Mm. 
<laughs> Which I I mean maybe, <laughs> but <laughs> it's good. If I have another one of these whiskeys, I'm gonna get into a I fist fight so. outside that I'm not sure I can hold my end of the deal in. Um, it's yeah, it's a little Bernie. We have some excellent theories about how uh, bourbon got its name, but we can never really be too sure. It was na- wasn't named after Bourbon County. That's what some people say, perhaps, but the dates don't quite match up. As people were referring to bourbon whiskey well before Bourbon County or Old Bourbon Region was were incorporated. Yeah. So uh, the historian Mike Veach, he's a bourbon historian, has a, done a great deal of research. Uh, on that subject, and he has unearthed bourbon layer labels that originate in the 1850s. So, and the bourbon was, or and the claim that bourbon was named after the Bourbon County doesn't actually appear in print until the 1870s. Right. So, like a retroactive kind of maybe. Yeah. So they're like maybe I don't know. The theory is that the name bourbon originated in New Orleans and was pop- popularized by Bourbon Street. It began when two men, uh, the Tarscon brothers, relocated from Cognac, France, to Louisville. The brothers had a plan to win over the French-leaning uh, residents of New Orleans. At the time, Cognac was popular in the city, but very expensive. So by aging Kentucky whis- uh, whiskey in charred oak-, oak barrels, the brothers believed that the whiskey would taste a little bit more like the con- Cognac that the French-Louisiana residents preferred. And And then the whiskey's voyage down uh, the Ohio and the Mississippi rivers provided a perfect window for aging that spirit. Uh, Oh, so it's like a natural kind of um, timeline, I guess. It is a natural timeline. And and just like how it came to be was all sort of circumstantial. Like it all just sort of fell into place. Like it wasn't like they didn't Mm. know that it was going to taste a certain way if it aged. Like, you know, when they had to send it down the rivers. But that's just how it came to be. So with the help yeah. of Louisville's extreme uh, climate shifts, which created a more f- it created a more flavorful whiskey as a spirit uh, c- because it moved in and out of the wood. Right. Because the climate sort of oh. thing. Uh, yeah. And, so, and, and like I said, it spent some time aging on the rivers. And the, so the brothers uh, created an undeniably delicious whiskey. Anyway, so people in uh, New Orleans, uh, specifically on uh, Bourbon Street, started asking for it by name. So that's the, uh, do you have any interesting facts for us, Carla? I do. I have a couple on uh, on whiskey and a couple on uh, job stuff. So Kentucky, like you said, is the birthplace of bourbon. And 50% of the world's bourbon is actually that Jim Beam. Interesting. That's what um, I'm, I'm drinking bourbon. a uh, Maker's Mark whiskey, which is out of the Beam, yeah. uh, the Beam distillery or whatever you would call it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. I'm drinking a Jack Daniels. And I don't know where. Well, I see Jack Daniels. Yeah, Um, it's also bourbon is the is America's only native spirit, which I guess makes sense. Right. Um, I we should like go through like a map one day because obviously uh, the other day we did uh, gin, which came from the Netherlands. It did indeed. Yeah, we should do like Um, a uh, yeah. We should put together like a map of 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 where these drinks are from. Yeah, exciting. There's a there's a job for us. Um, also, I uh, was reading that you can only use the barrel once. Oh, whoa! For um, making bourbon, that's one of the little. Well, that would make sense. Whatever that would make uh, sense if, like, the aging process, criteria. you know, is that the whiskey goes in and out of the wood. So, I mean, it would be tainted, mm-hmm. I guess, by the next. You couldn't put it back in there. 
Yeah. And uh, like I've, I've often heard a lot about this in wine that other places will buy the bourbon barrels and use them to, to put right. the wine in um, or other kind of alcohols in there just because that obviously there's all these barrels you can only use them once. So And it offers a real smoky taste to everything that like if you've ever drinking a wine aged in a bourbon barrel, it's a very distinct mm. taste. Mm-hmm. That I'm, I'm totally happy with. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. The- um, job fact stuff. Yeah. Ish. It's more depressing comments. Um, <laughs> a million people in Canada lost their jobs in March. We only have like 34 million or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a substantial percentage. Uh, that was due to COVID. So our unemployment rate went from uh, 2.2 to 7.8. Holy now, God. hopefully that that's in that was back in April. So that hopefully is a bit better. But just as a comparison, um, because I know Canada can sometimes seem like a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, unicorn state. Um, the U.S. unemployment rate was 14.7 in April. And that was up from 3.5. Wow. So yeah that's interesting and to think that too like um the uh so in canada we got the serb that's what they called it the serb and it was two thousand dollars a month for those people who lost their jobs due to coronavirus in the united states they just issued a twelve hundred dollar one-time payment and that Mm -hmm. was it they were like yeah here's twelve hundred bucks you deal with it yeah like I Very couldn't, different country. I couldn't think of a more wonderful time to, you know, lo- or more wonderful country to live in without a job than, than Canada has yeah. been uh, yeah. to all of us in the last uh, four or five months. Are those your interesting facts, Carla? That is. Dude. Um, hey, you guys, the listeners, guess what? What? <laughs> You know what I realized? I was like, Carla's going to have to say what here? Because they can't say what, but she said what for I said it for you. Um, We're launching a new, uh, a couple of exciting new features uh, with our podcast. Uh, Number one, we've got a new website up uh, and it is www.lifepairingspodcast.com. And through that website, you can now uh, get to our Patreon, which we're very excited to launch here, uh, which is but yeah, just you know, it's a few extra things. It's bonus episodes. It's uh, you know, extra content. It, it, we're starting small and we're building up to what we uh, hope will be big, and we hope that you'll join our Patreon. So, uh, yeah. the link will be through our website, uh, where you can just go on to Patreon slash Life Pairings Podcast, and we'll be there. And yeah, join it, man. We've got extra stuff. Don't doubt us. Yeah, you get to kind of see the more intimate side of us yeah the personal side of us like here we're just reading facts there we're doling out doozies we're telling you secrets (laughs) you want to know secret stuff about carla just call me my phone number is what (laughs) 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 no No, you have to subscribe to patreon to get britney's phone number yeah the the end of the phone number will be on patreon But you know, honestly, we're really, really excited about this because uh, we've had a lot more listeners than we we initially thought, and we're we're slowly building into something that's uh, become a lot of a lot of fun for us. So uh, we're very, very grateful for everybody who's listening. Yeah. And if you want to uh, go onto the Patreon, get some extra stuff, uh, check it out. Uh, if not, yeah, just check out our website; it's fun. And go on. We're on Instagram at Life Parents Podcast. Uh, you can email us at Gmail. Uh, 
you know, lifeparentspodcast at gmail.com. If you've got ideas, the best thing you can do for us is like, share, subscribe, uh, and tell us what you think. Uh, we love you guys so much, and we can't wait to see you next week. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.